You're listening to Clouser on Business. I'm Clouser, your host. Thanks for coming back. Glad you're with us today. Today's podcast is on an important topic of planning for the unexpected. And after you hear our guests share their story today, I'm sure you will be reassessing both your business and personal financial contingency plans and financial tools. Well, my guests today are Jill and Gordon Vigiano. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, and thanks for coming. Thanks for giving up your time. Well, you have a um, a traumatic story, but it has a positive outcome. And uh, it's been a a trek with uh, many lessons learned uh, for you. Uh, Would would you please uh, share with our audience uh, your story and the journey you've been on the past few years. And I would tell our listeners to, uh, you know, hang in here because we do have some uh, personal and business applications uh, that can be drawn uh, from the story you're about to hear. Absolutely. There's a lot of business applications. So so I am, uh, I am a quintessential non-risk taker. So wouldn't it be fitting that I would marry a risk-taking entrepreneur? Um, we uh, we've been married for eighteen. We had been married for eighteen years. Really weathered the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. You know the curves and the roads, the sharp right turns, the sharp left turns, all the things that happen in in an entrepreneur's life. So, um, and, and you know, things we'd finally really hit uh, a very steady pace. Gordon was a independent consultant, and he you know things were going really well for him. Couple of kids, a nice house. You know things were really going finally going our way, and um, and it was uh, it was one of those struck by lightning events. Gordon woke me up in the middle of the night and told me he couldn't see out of his left eye. Uh, that started uh, a sequence of events where I took him to an emergency room. He was completely fine, except that he couldn't see out of his left eye. Uh, no, no other manifestations of anything wrong. The ER doctor concluded incorrectly that he perhaps had a detached retina. We went home. Within minutes of returning home, Gordon fell completely unconscious and non-responsive, uh, which then brought on the 911 call and the ambulance uh, to take us to a different hospital where I had to explain that we had just left an emergency room. And, uh, and the conclusion was that Gordon was suffering a stroke. He was 51 years old. It was only a couple, it was 24 hours after his 51st birthday. He was a person with no risk factors, no high blood pressure, no high cholesterol, no weight problems. He exercised regularly, really doing everything right, mm-hmm. and yet it can still happen. Yeah, we, we didn't realize that. We thought you had to at least have a risk factor, but I guess you don't. Yeah. Can we back uh, up a second? Sure. Because, now, so, because you said you were at one hospital, and then, but you went to a different one. Was there a reason why? The only reason we went to the other hospital, I, I, we've always been a healthy family, had no idea really about any of the hospitals, hadn't really been in any of the hospitals, but the ambulance, uh, the EMT, uh, he said, uh, we need to take your husband to the hospital. And, and I said, he said, do you have a preference? And I said, I don't really know anything about any of the hospitals. And he said, you want to go to OHSU. So, um, Which is a uh, hospital in Portland, Oregon. Uh, yeah, it's the preeminent hospital uh, in Oregon, mm-hmm. and it's a teaching hospital. Is where all the most uh, cutting-edge tech- cutting technology is happening. Um, so even though I knew that hospital had not been on our health insurance plan, 
you know, you have these moments, your brain works so fast. The implications of that were dramatic. You mm-hmm. know, you go to a hospital that's not on your health insurance plan. You're, you, especially with something as major as this, you're going to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. But, so, yeah, you weigh, you weigh those things. Do I face those financial implications or do I let my husband perish yeah, in front the, of me? Because I guess the risk you were taking at the time by choosing to go to, to a hospital that wasn't on your medical coverage was it was going to be a big out-of-pocket. Uh, yes, unlimited uh, out-of-pocket. Yeah. So, and we need to let our listeners know, too, that uh, you have shared all these experiences in a book that you've written. Yes. Too. Yeah, so, yes. So I didn't want to be, sound like, you know, that's how I knew that you there was a choice in the hospital because I've, re- I've read your book. So. Yes. Yeah, so, so I said, fine, we'll go to OHSU. Um, give, give me directions. I didn't even know how to get there. Um, so that is where we went. Um, and they told me that Gordon was having a stroke. Now, mind you, it was – there's billboards all around town, you know, Stroke Center, the big billboards, time is brain. Well, you know, tick-tock, time is running, running by. And we said, mm-hmm. how could we not have seen it in one ER and then we go to another and we find out, you know, not only is Gordon having a stroke, but the organ donation lady came in to talk to me. Um, and she's, you know, doing her job, you know, good for her. She's very, very matter-of-fact. But, you know, she's using words like non-responsive and vegetative state mm-hmm. and be prepared to make the hard decisions. And, and let me interrupt again. And for those mm-hmm. listening who can't see us, Gordon's sitting right here on my left. So uh. Waving. <laughs> waving with his left hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. So, uh, so they, they performed a clot retrieval, a surgery on him to try to retrieve clots. And the conclusion was that he had a spontaneous bilateral carotid artery dissection. So in a nutshell, for an unknown reason, both of his carotid arteries cracked, uh, typically associated with things like whiplash or Mm. some type of a neck injury. But he didn't have that, so just spontaneous. Um, And his left carotid artery had collected so many clots in those cracks, Mm -hmm. they just sent a whole bunch of them up into his brain. And the carotid artery was so damaged it actually eventually healed completely shut he has only one carotid artery now so um but fortunately in our head is the only place in our body where our blood circulates in a circle so you Mm -hmm. can survive with one carotid Mm -hmm. artery just take really good care of that artery Mm -hmm. so what what was your life uh like up to this point so you mentioned that Gordon had a consulting business. You were were you working outside the home or not at that point? I had I had been in commercial real estate actually for 19 years. But when we moved to Oregon in 2001, I had the opportunity to just be a stay at home mom. Such a misnomer, which means really I'm never home. I just never get paid. Um, I, I, think, I think I think the role I think the role of a mother is the uh, the most underpaid, undervalued. Uh, probably position there is in life. Yeah, you know? I think so too. You have lots of volunteer work. So so I always joke with with our audiences when we're speaking that uh, we had a very clear division of labor. Gordon Gordon made money mm-hmm. and I did everything else. Yeah. And that was great. We we liked it. We mm-hmm. like we both really like working hard. So that was really not a problem for us. So, you know, I did everything. Mm-hmm. I did the yard work, I did the housework, I raised the kids. I 
I did all the volunteer. I mean, we we, we just made it work, and it was fun. It was mm-hmm. really fun. And what type of uh, what type of consulting uh, practice did you? Gordon is a sales consultant, so he would work with inside sales teams. Uh, sometimes it would be hiring, some uh, training, coaching, uh, getting them on uh, whatever the CRM was mm-hmm. that they had selected, uh, and really just tight- tightening up their processes and procedures, and a lot of times documenting just all those kinds of things to really get an inside sales team up and running efficiently. Mm-hmm. And so was the uh, income that you were getting from the practice just duly on your back then, uh, Gordon? And yeah. Yeah, yep. it was just Gordon. So, he had no employees. Years before when we lived in California, he had a company where he had up to 150 employees. He vowed to never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, sometimes a shared load, uh, you know, you know, plays out well. But okay, so there you are. You, uh, your husband uh, is the sole breadwinner. Uh, he's the sole revenue generator of this consulting uh, business. And now you find yourself uh, in a hospital. Uh, in an emergency area, and so what happens next? So he survives the surgery. They weren't sure if that was even going to happen. He survives the surgery, and uh, the next day they start allowing him to start waking up. So up to that moment, I mean, that the first 24 hours is just life or death. The second 24 hours, you find out how much damage is done. So when they allowed him to wake up. They brought him out of his coma. They, they put him in a medically induced coma so that his mm-hmm. brain would have a chance to heal. So he was out. We knew that. So when they brought him out of the coma, I think that's probably the moment when I started to truly understand what this really meant. He didn't know who I was. Um, he didn't know who the kids were. He didn't know what year it was. He didn't know who was president. He didn't know anything. His brain was, for the most part, wiped clean, and he had lost uh, the right side of his body. So, I mean, it, our brains are so incredible. It's yeah. it's it's like it's like someone took an invisible sharpie and dry, draws it perfectly down your body, half and half, and one half works, and the other half doesn't work. Even mm-hmm. half of his tongue didn't work. So it's really amazing. Um, so half he lost the right side of his body. He lost his memory. He lost his ability to speak. He could say yes and no, but he didn't really know what yes and no meant. He mm-hmm. used them indiscriminately. Um, and eventually we came to learn that he also lost the ability to organize his thoughts. So for him, you know, we can start at the beginning of a story and tell things in a sequence mm-hmm. and then conclude. Gordon can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it swims. Uh, he can get the first sentence out, maybe yeah. the second sentence. After that, it just, it's just words swimming in his head, and it, yeah. he's done. Um, so that's what we started to learn as he started coming out of that coma. Um, he didn't have terrible – he had some brain swelling, but not enough. You know, a lot of people have to have, like, part of their skull removed so their brain has a room to swell. Fortunately, he did not have that. But – he, uh, he had the kind of, I, I know there's a word for it, I can't think of what it is, uh, a stroke where it's not even just that his right side doesn't work. He's forgotten that he has a right side. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't occur to him that anything is wrong. Because it would be like us saying, you know, wag your tail. We'd say, I don't have a tail. But if you look behind you and saw a tail, look how shocked you would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the way he was with his right side. 
he would look and he would see that rise head and he would it was like astonishment so uh so you had some friends and family there for you i mean you're so you're now you're what, I mean, what kind of state were you in at, at, at this point? It's it's so shocking, and when it happens, and it's so unbelievable. And I don't like to think that I'm a complete sucker for television, but we've all seen enough television shows where at the end of the hour, everybody walks out happy and everybody's recovering well. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I think I thought that might happen. No, that does not happen. And but you know, I also have kids. You know, I have a twelve-year-old son and a fourteen-year-old daughter, and they're looking at me, saying, not saying, but looking at me with that look in their face, like, "Mom, what's going to happen to us?" Mm-hmm. So I, you know, there's no opportunity to fall apart. You, you, there's more obligation, and you know, doctors and nurses and specialists, everybody coming and talking to you using words you've never heard before uh, and you're signing all these papers who knows what I even signed um, and then and, you know trying to provide some kind of comfort for the kids we were fortunate we have a wonderful network of friends and people showed up we don't have any family in the area so that otherwise they would have been there but because um, you, you had moved uh, again from the book you had moved up from California yes we had moved up from California so uh, so we had a wonderful network of friends and what a what a gift that was um, so we, and a couple of our friends are doctors and one's a, a doctor of public health so they they actually knew the words that were being said mm-hmm. and so they could interpret for me and I had no idea what questions to ask. They helped me with those kinds of questions. Incredibly valuable mm-hmm. um, to have someone, an advocate for you, because with the stress, you can't even think. Um, and have someone advocate there for you um, is really uh, what a gift. Mm-hmm. So you had you had some friends and family there. So uh, so you, you were dealing uh, with Gordon laying in a hospital bed, and but you knew that you had to do something about uh, hey we've got to figure out how what how life's going to be going forward so what were a few things that uh, happened in that time period so very quickly a pattern emerged for those several weeks where in the morning I would get up and just deal with the forms we were fortunate that many many years before Gordon had bought disability insurance for himself um, so I immediately started filling out those forms, and that's a lot of paperwork and, you know, years' worth of tax documents. Everything has to be produced and copied and sent, and then the bills were arriving immediately. And, of course, this happens the end of March, which, you know, two weeks later, taxes are due. So I also had to make an appointment to go see the tax accountant because that was one of the things that Gordon took care of. Was And a couple of days before the stroke, he had said, I know exactly how we're going to handle taxes this year. <laughs> and and that was gone. Whatever whatever that great idea was, we never found it back. So um, so, so let me interrupt you for so okay, so I've I've heard two things for our listeners so far is uh, especially in this case the importance of having disability insurance. I cannot stress that enough. Okay. I want to get back to that in a second. And I've also heard and it's it's like this in a lot of households across America. It's either the wife or the husband that handles the financial part, and then just like what's happened uh, with you folks, something happens, and it's the other one that's uh, you know disabled or something, and the other one has to step in and pick up uh, you know countless years of the other person doing it. So yeah, it, it's it's a nightmare. And so so the mornings were in forms. Then I'd go to the hospital. And then when I came home, you know, try to provide some kind of life around the house for the kids. 
and then figure out the accounting system because he also handled the accounting system. And, and so this was nine years ago. It's amazing how much technology has mm-hmm. changed. There were no places where you kept passwords. There were none of those types of conveniences had really been invented yet. So then I had every file having to find passwords, being on the phone with the bank. Other th- the other thing we had, fortunately, we had we had taken the time to get get our our estate basically put in order. So I had a power of attorney, and I had his advance directive for medical purposes. Those were essential to have ahead of time, uh, so I could talk to the credit card company if something was just in his name. I could talk to them. So those kind of documents, so important to have. Just out of curiosity, how far in advance of this event happening did you have that all in order as far as the directive and the will? And- we had those probably three or four years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. We, When we had kids, we had done that in California. But then we moved to Oregon and you have all new state rules, so you have to do it all again. So mm-hmm. we had done it. So that was one of the things that, that I think we really had in our favor. At least I could sign for him. I could make decisions for him. And I could do all these legal documents for him. So that was very, very helpful mm-hmm. and very important to have in place. Mm-hmm. And people tend to think, um, well, my, like for their kids, it's like, oh, well, they're still in college. Well, if they're 18, you cannot sign for anything and you cannot make any medical decisions for them. So from the time someone's 18 on, they need to have these documents in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another great point. Okay, so uh, on the disability insurance, so did the insurance company give you any uh, pushback? Or I know you said it was tedious in filling out the forms, but uh, any pushback? Not, not in the beginning. The, the disability insurance was really um, complicated. So Gordon had bought the policies, you know, one of them back in the 80s. I mean, mm-hmm. it was an old policy. There's a six-month waiting period. Mm-hmm. So for both policies, we had to wait six months before it kicked in. And you know, that's, that's a long time. That's and, a long time with no income and nothing but medical bills yeah. coming. And so going back, finding the tax returns was, uh, I'm going I'm to guess, tell me if I'm wrong, but was that a, because the current income hadn't been updated with the insurance company? And Correct. They, need to, they want to find out what is your income history because their payment, they base things on what you are and what your percentages are. There's, there's all these calculations that have to be done. So, yeah, I had to provide a lot of proof, a lot of medical numbers. You know, everything comes out of a number. Uh, luckily, I had an incredible social worker who gave me all the medical data so I could get that part done. But you turn in all that documentation and then you wait. Mm-hmm. So this uh, so uh, the stroke happened uh, toward the end of March. So how how long was it before Gordon got home? Gordon was in the hospital, the actual hospital, for five days, and then he was in the rehab hospital hospital for three weeks. Um, in in the middle of all of that, something happened. I don't I don't know what happened. It was never explained to me. You know, the answer when it comes to stroke, the answer to almost every question is every stroke is different. Mm-hmm. Um, he went from recovering very quickly to eight on day eight. The eighth day, he lost everything. And even from the moment when he woke up the first time, he was now worse than that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we basically started over again on the eighth day. Which ate into the time we had in the hospital. You know, in, in health insurance is very unforgiving. It's like they're not going to say, "Oh, 
let's start those days over. Yeah, They're right. not going to yeah. do that. Yeah, it's not like a mulligan. Yeah. <laughs> no, no mulligans in, in health insurance. So, uh, so. But, he, but is there something for our listeners to pay attention to in their health care coverage to where maybe there's something there that they may not be aware of in the coverage that that's a really good question one of the things that the social worker did for me that i had no idea you could do is we so our insurance at the time we were individually employed so we just had an individual family health plan we didn't have any company no group policy so so um but it allowed for a certain amount of time say in a convalescent hospital like a nursing home well that really wasn't what he needed. So what we were able to do, you don't, you don't get a one-for-one, one, but you could turn in three days in a convalescent hospital for a day in a rehab hospital. So we converted all of that into rehab, and that's how we got three weeks of rehab hospital. Wow. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of, uh, generally speaking, there's a lot of uh, benefits or knowing how to do just what you did that – is unavailable to the uh, general population, and we just assume certain things. But there and be and other I've things. heard from other people that you know, if I I just happen to have had an exceptional social worker, she was amazing. Um, but not everybody has that, and mm-hmm. not everybody's going to take that extra step for you. So it really comes down to if if you get on the phone with your with your health insurer, it when something like this happens, and when it's a when, at least at the time when it was a major event. There was one person at the health insurance company assigned to me, so I had a, I developed a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. So then it really comes down to saying, "What can you do for me? How can we work together on this to get him the care that he needs?" Yeah. And that was the, and and that really actually was very helpful as well. But if I hadn't had a social worker sort of open my eyes to that, I would have had no idea. Yeah. So, uh, what were some other things? Uh, that you did in order to get some stability financial. You know, obviously you had to have income coming in of some nature. Uh, I I recall reading in your book about um, uh, Gordon over here had had invested in a company back a number of years ago, and and an unexpected return on investment happened there. You want to? Yes. You know, things, amazing things really happened. People, friends, family, a friend of ours opened up a bank account, and I didn't know, I, for all I knew, there was 100 bucks in it, uh, but people had donated and put money in there for me, and when I really, really had bills to pay, I went down to the bank to withdraw the money, and there was $6,000 mm-hmm. just from friends and family and even strangers. Mm-hmm. I, it was, if you ever wonder about the goodness of people, you, you really find out you really find out what the quality of your friendships are and your relationships are when something like this happens. And so there was $6,000 waiting for me in that account. That really helped. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, many years before, when we still lived in California, Gordon had just sort of reluctantly invested in this company. One of his former um, uh, partners had said, you know, you really should invest in this too. And he put in almost nothing. Well, the company paid off. We had no idea. And all of a sudden, a check for $20,000 arrived in the mail. Um, and then I think the next year, another $20,000 showed up. It was yeah. it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, uh, Gordon gets home. Okay, so how's life, how's life change at home now that uh, the patient's at home and uh, not in the hospital or the rehabilitation? It's a terrifying thing having someone come home from the hospital when they're in that bad of shape. He was in a wheelchair. He couldn't speak. He slept 15 
or more hours a day, he was completely disconnected from reality. So he had no idea that he was bad off. And so we have the kids, but but he was also volatile. He had no control over his emotions. So, you know, trying to shield the kids and take care of him, he couldn't bathe himself. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything. Uh, he couldn't dress himself. He couldn't do anything. So, you know, he's dragging around this half a body that doesn't work, and he doesn't even remember. He closed it in the door. I mean, it didn't matter to him. He couldn't even feel it. Mm-hmm. So that was, those were some tough days. Those were some very tough days. But the great thing about Gordon and uh, what made him a successful entrepreneur and what made him a successful sales consultant is he's the most goal-oriented, driven person I have ever met. So every now and then he'd have these moments of clarity and he would say, well, in very broken language, when I, when I speak for him, I'm like making up the words because he did not have the words. He had like 10 words. But he, basically what he was always trying to tell me was that I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be better in six months. Now that yeah, now I know how disconnected from reality that was. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to be better in six months. Don't even bother filling out disability paperwork. Don't do any of these things. I'm fine. That's how disconnected from reality he was. So we spent – but the good thing was – I mean the good thing is, is he felt that way. Mm-hmm. That was very, very good. He never got depressed. He never felt defeated. Instead, so my job was to not bring him down, mm-hmm. but in every way to try to support him to make that happen. So we had you know, therapy for a while. You know, insurance only covered therapy for so long. Um, and, but we, I, I watched every single thing they did because when they walked out the door, I had to be able to do those things. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn everything I could about recovery yeah. so that I could help him. So for hours, hours every day, we would work on the exercises, but he couldn't actually do any of the exercises. Mm-hmm. So this is another area where the brain is so amazing. We would talk about what it would look like if he could move his arm. And I would rub his arm and tap his skin, you know, so to try to get him to feel it again. And, mm-hmm. and we would talk about what would it look like if you could move it? What would it feel like if you could move it? Look at, look at your left hand. It works. Let's look at, look at what that looks like when you bend your elbow. What would, imagine what that would feel like if you did it in the right. We spent a lot of time just doing that because your brain picks up on that. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So, so we did that. And I mean, we had no response for probably, I don't know, at least a year. But we worked on it every day, all day long. Kids would go to school. We would work on recovery. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And we had him out of the wheelchair in three months. But we had him, um, and walked, walking with a cane then mm-hmm. for another you know, till for the, that year to be up. But you know, your leg comes back the quickest because you put impact on it. You put weight yep. and impact on it. So your leg comes back the quickest. We found out that his shoulder was starting to respond in a pool. We got him into a pool. And because you're sort of weightless, it took a long time, but he got his arm to float forward. <laughs> so yeah. we knew that yeah. muscle was working. <laughs> well, I can, I can attest that the, uh, the work paid off because uh, when Gordon walks into a room, if you didn't know otherwise, you wouldn't 
even suspect anything. So good work there. So, so, so then, so you go through all this, and then uh, you write a book, and the name of your book is "Painful Blessing." Mm-hmm. It took a long time to be able to put bl- blessing on the end of that, but um, Gordon was adamant that I that I write a book about what happened. So you know, because. He's not only goal-oriented for himself, he's goal-oriented yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So See, he can still support you there, you see? Yes, yes. So he, you know, always setting goals, always looking for things that we can learn and do differently. He is relentlessly persistent, which mm-hmm. has been the key to recovery and the key for us to find really a new life for ourselves. Right. And, and and always. And so and how are you going about that? Because you, aren't you two out uh, doing some speaking? And we do. So tell, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what that's about. And... So we started out you know, you know, when we knew nothing and we thought he'd be recovered in six months. Our plan was that we would, at the, at a, at the one-year anniversary, we would invite all all our friends that were so amazing and so supportive of us. We would invite them out, like, to the park or something. We'd have a big party, just celebrate that this horrible year was over and that we were starting fresh. Well, after a year, he was still in really, really bad shape. So then we said, well, maybe in year, maybe the second anniversary. So second year rolls around. Gordon's still in terrible shape. So we well, maybe, okay, maybe the third year. So the third year rolls around. And we just decided maybe we should just have the party anyway because we, things are still pretty rough. So, and Gordon said that's fine. Again, very broken language. Maybe get three words together at, in a row. Mm-hmm. He basically was telling me, you know, I let's have the party at the four year anniversary, but I want to talk about what happened, which is great. But he couldn't talk, so I started writing a speech, and I put, took six months put a speech together for him. And we wanted it to not be oppressive and awful, so we named it um, My Brain Has a Hole in It. And and that was great. We got it all done, liked it. We were happy with it, but he couldn't speak, so he had to start practicing. So he started reading the speech. So he could read, but he can't comprehend what he reads. They're just words on a page for him. So he starts reading and practicing, but he can only read for about five minutes at a time. Slowly but surely, he keeps practicing every day, hours, every day. Finally, he can read the whole thing. Well, now you got to stand up, but he can only stand up for about five minutes at a time. So he starts over five minutes at a time standing. So he finally gets where he can stand and read the whole speech. Well, then he records it, and it's completely monotone and you can't understand anything he said because he's his language his, his language is so muffled mm-hmm. sure so then he every day he's taping himself and practicing so bottom line eight months later from the time he started reading the speech till he was actually ready to give the speech eight months had gone by and we finally had the party So he gave the speech, and people said, you know, this is so inspiring. Please tell more people. And so a new career was launched. Yeah. And what venues are you speaking – who who are you speaking in front of and – We've, uh, we have found that our, our best audience is people who are involved in selling insurance, Mm -hmm. life insurance, disability insurance, and financial planners. The huge part of our recovery story is that we had that disability insurance. It is what kept us in our home. It paid the bills and allowed me to focus on Gordon and take care of him. So, if some if someone wanted to uh, 
get in touch with you and have you speak at, at an event or mm-hmm. uh, gathering, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? If you, you can look at our website. It's called mybrainllc.com. Okay. Um, Gordon is the person who arranges all these things. The salesman in him is still alive and well, and he's the one that arranges all these things. If he needs help on calls, of course, I always get on the calls with him, but, but he's the one. And uh, do you want me to give you your phone number? Sure. And we'll put this up on our website okay. as and well. Okay, put it on the website. Okay, yeah. But go ahead. Okay, yeah, it's fine. 503-329-8990. Yeah, that's up in uh, the great state of Oregon. Yes, so. it is. <laughs> the area code. So uh, we're running out of time here. Uh, your book, where can people buy your book? book is on Amazon.com. Um, yeah, it's called Painful Blessing. And I am the author of that. And why don't you give your name to everybody so they know your full name there? Because I know it's Jill Krantz Vigiano. And uh, our pictures are on it. I recommend to everyone that they have a a one day of professional hair, makeup, and photography. You'll never look better. (laughs) Okay. If you so, if you had a say a group of young married uh, couples sitting around this table, what would be maybe two things? that you could offer them advice on that would help them in a situation like you endured? I really encourage young people to, well, all people of all ages, really take your marriage vows very seriously. You know, we, we tend to think that it's, you know, we don't like to think better or worse because worse is coming for all of us. No one is getting out of here alive. Mm-hmm. We all have something happen to us. And really think about that person as your partner. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about, you know, the the roses and chocolate. This is about the the hard work of of uh, you know, a wonderful relationship. Mm-hmm. Take your marriage vows very seriously and nurture that relationship. Um, it was very sad to me that the therapist told me that they watched relationships fall apart all the time in the rehab hospital, and I just thought that was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The second piece of advice, buy lots of disability insurance for both of you. Um, it's, it's devastating what will happen, what can happen, and the odds are much higher than I'm sure anyone realizes. You know, be prepared. Everyone plans for retirement, but if something happens before retirement comes along, all those plans will be for nothing. Yeah, and that could, and that's something that should be, if you have it, it's, it's kind of like life insurance too. It's something that should be uh, reassessed, uh, you know, annually because yes. because change you know, things do change and your income levels up and down, and uh, just need to be sure all the information is correct and everything. But uh, hey, well, thanks for being with us today. We're out of time, but I really appreciate you coming on and. Uh, you know, sharing your story, and uh, and I hope that those listening will uh, take the opportunity to uh, to buy the book to learn more about it. It's a great, it, it's really a, a short read, and it's an easy read, but it's uh, really a heartfelt uh, story about Gordon over here and how you've been able to step in there and uh, do some things to keep the family going. and uh, And I just think it's great that you're out there on the uh, speaking and and uh, working together there so but uh, again the book painful blessings uh, can be picked up on amazon anyplace else they can find it or create space and i think barnes Barnes, it might even be on barnesandnoble.com i can't remember amazon.com is best and it's painful blessing no s in the end remember you can find us on itunes TuneIn, stitcher radio podbean and as always at fazerombusiness.com 
Well, all for now, you've been listening to Clouser on Business.